morning, Glory America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. It's Hugh. You what that music means? It's the last radio hour of the week. And today I am talking during the Hillsdale Dialogue with the president of Hillsdale College, Dr. Larry Arn, as I do most weeks that the Hillsdale Dialogue is on. And for the first time with Dr. Mickey Craig, who is the William and Bernice uh, Grucock Professor of Politics. He is uh, he's a Claremont man, got his master's and his Ph.D. from the Claremont Graduate School. He wrote his doctoral dissertation, though, on Xenophon, which is good because uh, Arn and I have never talked about this before. President Arn and I have never really talked about Xenophon. And I got to ask you, Dr. Craig, first of all, welcome. Thanks for putting up with President Arn so early in the morning and for putting up with me. Um are you do you feel like Xenophon is overlooked in the world? Because I got through four years of Harvey Mansfield's Gov Department and I never read a lick of Xenophon in the seventies. Well, shame on Harvey Mansfield, but um yes, I, I do think he's overlooked. I mean I think he has been uh overlooked for uh, quite some time, a century and a half or so. Um I mean he used to be a routine part of a liberal arts uh, curriculum. I, I I like to point out to my students uh, when, in, in classical political theory classes that in the 19th century, if you went, attended Hillsdale College, you had to be able to read in Greek uh, Xenophon's Anabasis, Xenophon's Memorabilia, uh, and Xenophon's Education of Cyrus. And, you know, the, curric- the John Dewey curriculum reforms sort of eventually uh, the sort of relativistic, nihilistic uh, education reform that we see the effects of it uh, in our inner cities today, um, completely uh, removed the Xenophon, uh, and really the study of uh, serious uh, classical political philosophy. So yes, he's overlooked. I mean, he, he's making a bit of a comeback, but... Uh, I think he's uh, going to make a great comeback, because Dr. Arndt told me last week, listen to The Education of Cyrus, which I have been doing, and Larry Arndt, it's terrific. I mean, it's very, very good, and I'm not even using the best translation, I don't think. I think it's sort of a paraphrase translation, but right. it's a terrific book, Dr. Arn. Which, which translation are you using? Uh, well, of the, of the Education of Cyrus, there's a guy named Wayne Ambler that Mickey and I know. Who I think that's the best translation, isn't it, Mickey? Yes, that's the best. It's, it's excellent. You know, it's, you, know you, you really do in reading, you know, in, in the old days, of course, the kids who went to college knew Latin and Greek, but... You know, there are a series of great translation of Xenophon's works and Plato's and Thucydides that uh, are, are becoming available uh, as, as you know, classical education becomes uh, fashionable once again. And, and Ambler's translation is really captures the essence of, of it. Because, you know, if you don't translate it literally, it, it, you're going to lose uh, a lot of the important things in the in the work. Uh, I want to let everyone know, as a slow starter or a Steelers fan, Xenophon of Athens was a historian, a philosopher, and a soldier, a brilliant commander at the age of 30. He led the famed 10,000 in and out of Persia in support of Cyrus the Great. Larry, have you taught him before? Have you ever taught Xenophon? (laughs) Well, I've taught uh, one of his dialogues about tyranny, and uh, I'm going to teach some this, this fall of the education of Cyrus, I think it's a wonderful book. Uh, it's worth saying at the beginning that uh, to understand the importance of Xenophon, you have to think about Socrates first, because Socrates was a revolutionary figure in human history, and he had these students, and uh, they were revolutionary figures in human hist- history. And of the people who observed closely and wrote about uh, 
Socrates, Xenophon is the one who's the public man, and his he, he brings uh, an insight and understanding uh, to explaining Socrates that is beyond. And well, it's different from nothing is beyond Plato, but it's different from Plato. And so, you you and see, so just just think of the interesting thing about this. He wrote a series of things about Socrates that parallel some of the things that Plato wrote, and they're different in some important ways. Uh, first of all, because his judgments of public men, Alcibiades in particular, are much more clear and also harsh. Uh, uh, Socrates was uh, flirting, not romantically, with Alcibiades, a, a, a tremendous human being, and a tyrant, sort of. And and uh, Alcibiades is flirting romantically with Socrates. But uh, and so in Plato, what you get is a, a delicate thing. What uh, Xenophon says is. Uh, Alcibiades and his kind were interested in power. They came to Socrates because they knew there was power there. And then when they realized that he wouldn't just teach them power, they, they fled from him, Xenophon writes. Uh, so that's one thing, really interesting. You learn about Socrates, something, something different. Um, and and uh, then another thing is he, you know, he does draw these two pictures of statesmen, and uh, education of Cyrus is in one, and the Anabasis, which is a picture of himself, although on the surface that's not what it says. It's not, then I did this, then I did that. Uh, he appears in the third person in it quite a lot. Dr. Uh, Craig, can I break in for a second and ask Dr. Craig, our Xenophon scholar, when I listen to the education of Cyrus, however well or poorly translated, Am I to believe that's what Cyrus really said and did in Xenophon's estimate? Or is that well, Xenophon's I, idealization of what a absolute monarch on the rise would do and say? I, I think it is, at, at one level, it's a, it's a fiction. Obviously, there was a, a real person, Cyrus, who was an extraordinarily successful ruler. And uh, Xenophon, obviously, you know, Cyrus lived 150 years. Cyrus the Great lived 150 years before uh, uh, Xenophon. So it is a, a kind of fiction. Oftentimes, it is referred to as the first novel in the um, in the Western tradition. And so, I, I do think that what he what he does is it is a sort of ideal, if you want to use that word. That here is a man. Xenophon begins, and I think he has Plato in mind as he's writing the, writing the well, book. Now you've answered my question because I always thought Thucydides is credited with being the first realistic historian, Herodotus in other words, but I thought Xenophon might know Cyrus the way we know Lincoln, uh, in that he could have known the accounts of the life of Cyrus down to the details. So the, it, he's just idealizing the perfect ruler. Well, he, he, I mean, I think what he is doing, I mean, I think that's correct. I mean, I think what he's saying is that if a man has the talent, if he is a, one of the best natures and he has the good education, you know, he has the virtues of wisdom and courage especially, um, that here's how it probably happened, something like this. And it, it really, you know, we don't have, uh, they didn't have smartphones and recordings back then. So I think he thinks it's true in the sense that here's a portrayal of what is best. You know, here, here's the best by nature and that Cyrus 
does that thing. And so what, what, what you really do see in Cyrus is a man who has good judgment. He is just. I mean, what Cyrus does, what Xenophon says is, it's really hard to rule human beings or faculty members, and it's really hard to govern. <laughs> no, wait, those are two different things. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, I agree with that. Um, so so what you really do have, is, he says, well, but we do have the example of Cyrus, who was able to rule, and he did this for, you know, he, he, and then he says he has knowledge of the political things. He understands the art of ruling. And he has the capacity to do that thing. And primarily he has that capacity because he is born to power. So what he does, what, 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 what Xenophon does with Cyrus, is he does what Plato says is the most difficult thing to do, which is to combine wisdom with political power. And so Cyrus has wisdom, but he is also born to rule. He, he, he is born... He's understood to be a descendant of a god, so he has the consent of the governed. He is the legitimate king, and so what you what you have is the fortunate divine providence accident that a man capable of ruling is born with divine right on his side, and so the people look to him and see, here's our ruler, and they see he benefits them, and so what it means to be a good ruler is to benefit the common good, and to overcome the vicious anarchy and cycle of regimes that is normally what you find in history. And so what he does is he brings stability, he brings prosperity, and he benefits his subjects, he benefits his friends, he benefits his friends, and he harms his enemies. So, so justice, what emerges there is a kind of account of politics that is rooted in the idea that you find in the Federalist Papers well, as well. When we come back, we got to go to break. When we come back, Dr. Uh, Craig, I'll have you expand on that. It's also very reminiscent of Machiavelli to me. Uh, Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arn, Dr. Craig. We will return talking Xenophon on this Friday. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. For the first time ever, the Hillsdale Dialogue coincides on the anniversary of the show, which is the 20th anniversary of the show, but it's also the anniversary of my getting married to the Fetching Mrs. Hewitt, so I always play her favorite song for all the breaks, not our normal Hillsdale dialogue. For 38 years, she put up with me, so I always honor her on this day. I'm joined by Dr. Larry Arn, uh, president of Hillsdale, and Dr. Mickey Craig, professor of politics at Hillsdale. Dr. Craig, you are a lifelong student of Xenophon. I am curious how you made that choice at Claremont to do your dissertation on him, and, and then to spend your life in a, in a somewhat obscure but very important figure that I'm learning more about. How did you make that choice? Oh, man, that's a good one. Um, well, congratulations on 38 years of marriage. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I, I guess... <laughs> Notice he didn't uh, congratulate you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> on the show, okay. <laughs> that, too. <laughs> oh, you poor man. You have to deal with him every day. I only have to deal with him once a week. All right, well, go, go ahead. He's on the road a lot, so I don't... <laughs> um, okay, well, the long story short is, um, you know, I had a, st- a teacher named Jeff Wallen who had attended Claremont and... You know, I ended up going out there because I was interested in political philosophy and statesmanship, and I really uh, didn't know what I was going to specialize in when I went there. And 
in the course of taking classes with Harry Jaffa and, and others, um, eventually I just said, well, I would like to try to figure out, you know, what's the difference between Aristophanes, Socrates, Plato, Socrates, and Xenophon, Socrates, and and you know the most the one I knew the least about was Xenophon, so I uh, decided to focus in on that because I, I mean I do think I mean again this is Jaffa and Leo Strauss that what Strauss's argument is is that reason has become um, amoral, relativistic, and nihilistic in, in the modern times. And he, he traced that primarily to Nietzsche and Heidegger, and that what he wanted to show was that those radical nihilist thinkers had fundamentally misunderstood Socrates because they had attributed to Socrates, they had sort of conflated Plato, uh, Plato uh, Aristophanes, and Xenophon as the same person, and they had that meant that a philosopher is simply an atheist. You know, Zeus is dead, God is dead, and what 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 they what Strauss discovered uh, is or rediscovered was that in the teachings of Plato and Xenophon, and Xenophon again being the most ridiculed of the classical thinkers, um, uh, understood these things in a way that were different from, and it was, a, and so what Strauss was really doing was rediscovering a reasonable understanding of reason and so you just you just uh, used a very interesting word dr craig you said ridiculed now right. I, I he was obscure to me i always tell people i wasn't smart enough to be a straussian but i went to harvey's classes anyway uh <laughs> but but i am curious why you say ridiculed how was he ridiculed well he was ridiculed in, in part that he was just a sort of simplistic moralist you know that he he was a fuddy-duddy um and, you know, he did not really understand Socrates. He's just a stupid colonel. You know, he, he really didn't understand. He, he was sort of hanging out on the edge, but he didn't do that. And then I think what really happened in the 19th century with, with Hegel, Marx, and, and, and you know, the sort of uh, historicism that, that emerges in the early 19th century that gets radicalized by Nietzsche is, is that uh, – Xenophon and Plato both come to be ridiculed and denigrated as bad citizens. You know that that uh, Xenophon <laughs> left Athens. Let Xenophon uh, went with Cyrus the Younger to Persia, and then he joined up with the Spartans. You know he lived in Sparta for over thirty years. He even fought in battles against Athens. And so you had a kind of you know classical scholarship in the nineteenth century. Uh, came to be influenced by sort of Prussian nationalism or something, and that that any kind of uh, judgment that your regime might be sick or something like that, uh, Xenophon was denigrated because... Oh, my he, God. He, the he, number he, of know. sins the Germans have committed against us all, both <laughs> massive and well-known, and those which are subtle, as you've just described... They ought never to get a vote at the anywhere. I'll be right back with Dr. Arn and Dr. Mickey Craig. Don't go anywhere, America. Fascinating Hillsdale dialogue is underway on The Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. My guests are Dr. Larry Arn, Dr. Mickey Craig. Arn is, of course, the president of Hillsdale College. Uh, Dr. Craig is the politics professor there. This is the Hillsdale Dialogue. We've been doing it for many, many years. They're all collected at HughForHillsdale.com. Everything Hillsdale is found at Hillsdale.edu. Dr. Arn, you know... 
Uh, Dr. Craig just did more in seven minutes to give me a history of philosophy than you've done in seven years with me. You've always tried to confuse me. He just laid it out. I, I want to ask you in a very serious way, do you know many other Xenophon scholars, and do you think he's been ridiculed? Oh, yeah, and uh, I do think that, and I do know some others, but Mickey's probably the best. And uh, I'll even say why Mickey is the best. First of all, Mickey is better than I am because he teaches more than I do, and so he's good for you because he can simplify Aha, good. <laughs> no, it's, uh, Double edge, but I'll take it. Go ahead. There you go. No, it's, uh, Mickey is interested in statesmanship. There's a kind of a, a nexus. If you study political thought, there's a nexus between action and thinking, right? There's a connection there, and it's complicated, and it's important, right? Because it raises the question, how should you live your life? And so Mickey's interested in that, and that's go to Xenophon, then, of course. Uh, and uh, so there's, and then the second thing is about Xenophon is he is a kind of philosophic statesman, right? I mean, my, you know, there's a there's a, a reading. It, I, it's actually I'm not sure what Mickey's reading is, whatever it is, it's right. But there's a reading of of the education of Cyrus. Uh, first of all, why read it? If you want to be a person of good influence. If you want to know how to rule and how to, how to be good for other people and influential with them, Aristotle says you should study people who have the reputation for it. This is one of the greatest texts ever, right? Oh, you know, I thought to myself that every young officer who goes to the war college, upon listening, I'm only halfway through it, they ought to listen to this book or read it because it's about generalship. That's and that see that and it's powerful. I, I urge everybody to read the Education of Cyrus and the Anabasis, and you know the member of Socrates is also wonderful. But uh, so, but there's another thing going on in it too because why you know people who are statesmen are very good at power, right? If you if you got into a war with Adolf Hitler, he was very likely to kill you, and it's also that's also true of Winston Churchill. They're lethal people, right? They understand how to make things happen with the body count if need be. And the question is, what disciplines that? And so the reading of The Education of Cyrus uh, by Leo Strauss, uh, delicately, and, and I, think it, I think he's right, but Mickey can tell us, is that in the end, Cyrus ends up enslaving all these people. The, the Persian Empire is a slavish empire. And he does that by his virtues, actually, because he, you know, first of all, he, he surrounds himself in the end of the book with two kinds of people. Uh, eunuchs, you know, the symbol of people who have no family and no interest outside the ruler. Only them can he trust, except that he has to, the text says, he has to have people around him who are good at war, powerful, general. And so what he does with them uh, my reading is, but this is all delicate, right, because it's dealing with a very delicate point, is that he doesn't teach them friendship exactly. What he does is give them rewards. And on one level, that's a very noble thing. Churchill says of his great friend, F.E. Smith, that Smith piled up his treasure in the hearts of his friends. And, and uh, Cyrus does that explicitly and says that he does that in the text. But then, on the other hand, uh, it's like a lesson I learned one time. Uh, the only person who's taken a pay cut at Hillsdale College since I've been here is, is I. And uh, I took a big one one year, 2008, when the world fell apart. And I didn't let anybody else do that. 
And this time we haven't done that, you know, and all this mess going on and the approaching despotism we live under, except we're going to beat it off. Uh, you know, we are talking about that. And they made a budget. I said, we got to cut the budget, and we did. And they made a budget, and they took a pay cut. And I first said, no. And then I, the next day we met again, and I, apologized. I said, you know, you guys want to sacrifice too because you have a part in this. See, this is yours as well as mine. It's not mine. It's not anybody's, but it's, we're the ones who serve it, right? Well, they just, you know, some, they got weepy-eyed when I said that, right? Well, I think that Cyrus didn't build up around himself a bunch of people with the independence to... So interesting you say that, uh, Dr. Ron, because at one point when he's talking about uh, his allies among the, uh, the Medes and those who have come over to him uh, from the retreating Assyrians, I think he's about to say the most important thing is gaining the friendship of your allies. He, in fact, says it's loyalty, and he, he induces it by allowing them to divide the spoils and things like that. Dr. Craig, what do you make of Dr. Ron's observation? Well, I mean, I, I think it, it is correct, but I, I guess I'll just add a couple things to it. I mean, it is true that the overwhelming majority of even Persians, but you know, the, especially the, peop- the people of the nations that they conquer in the course of the 30 years that he's, he's ruling, are you know, in, in many respects servile. But I, I do think that is, I mean, I think that's a kind of uh, circumstance that's outside of the control of, of, of Cyrus. That you know, they're, they're, you know, it's not a prosperous place. You know, scarcity and, 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 and economic goods and and these people either are slaves or working hard and they don't have education. And so I do think that's what that I, I give Cyrus, and I think Xenophon portrays this, is that Cyrus does benefit them, even though he can't really elevate them up to virtue of, of, of you know, the kind of self-government we talk about at Hillsdale. Dr. Craig, why did he but go he, rogue he, then? He, 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 he brings to them stability. And he allows them, I mean, he takes, you know, there's one, one, I can't remember the exact scene there, where he takes away their weapons and he says, well, you can be farmers, you know, you can. And so he, he yes. there is a kind of the thing, something Machiavelli likes about him is that um, Xenophon recognizes that a good ruler should, you know, have a base that is stable and stability is something these people haven't had. So he's improved their lives, I, w- I would argue. And the good ruler now, has now, to deliver on promises. I mean, there's there's a lot of practical wisdom there, but why did he go rogue in his own life, end up with the Spartans fighting against his own city? You've, re- you've studied him and thought about him for decades. Right, How does right. someone end up doing that? Well, I, I think it's relatively simple to say that what happens in Athens in uh, you know, especially after the end of the Peloponnesian War in 403, is that Athens, and Thucydides outlines this as well, and, you know, Xenophon in his Hellenica, I mean, Xenophon's history, his history of Greek things, picks up around 410. You know, Thucydides dies in 411, I think, and Xenophon's history, he picks up where Thucydides leaves off and runs down to uh, 360, and, you know, he dies around 355. So his Hellenica is um, an account of the the decline of Athens, and I think it would put it this way, is that what happens is the war, you know, after, after the war, and things get nastier and nastier in domestic politics in Athens in the course of the war, and then after the war, uh, the Spartans set up the 30 tyrants, which included Critias and 
and some other of Socrates' students, Critias and Alcibiades being the two main ones that people hated Socrates for his association with them, is that Athens becomes, well, I mean, to put it in contemporary terms, the, 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 the party in power, after the 30 tyrants are overthrown, the democratic faction becomes lawless and tyrannical and treats people the way uh, Comey treated Michael Flynn or what, whatever, whatever it might be. And so Athens is no longer, there in, in for Xenophon, now Socrates never, uh, Socrates always obeys the law, but Xenophon just saw that what's happening to uh, the oligarchic element in Athens is, is horrific. And so he doesn't see Athens as a place that deserves his, his loyalty anymore, that it has become a tyrannical. Now, he's not a liberal saying, I'm moving to Canada or something like that. But, he, I mean, it's a judgment about the regime and about his own safety. And, and I am so glad to hear you say that because it's been striking me that after repulsing the great Persian invasion led by the son of Cyrus the Great, Greece kind of degenerates, and, and, and there's no stopping it. Dr. Arne, even the but, presence of the students of Socrates can't stop it. See, that's, that's right, and that's part of the Socratic teaching, right? And that is, uh, wonderful things can be done by human beings who practice virtue, and especially by rulers who do, but they're not going to make heaven on earth. And it's, it's not just true that Greece declined after the moment of its glory, defeating the Persians. It tore itself to pieces. Right. And, uh, and, you know, that, that Xenophon, and see, Xenophon, you know, he, Athens killed his teacher, Socrates, right? Right. And his account of that is, uh, uh, more open, you know, uh, Plato's account of that is noble, but Xenophon's account of that is more openly noble. It shows the greatness of Socrates, even as a practical man. And, and so, it's like the teaching in Plato's Republic that, you know, the cities will be miserable until the philosophers are kings, and they won't be. And, and Dr. Craig, how does Aristophanes' portrayal of that differ from the other two, since that was your dissertation? Well, I mean, Aristophanes, uh, you know, in the most famous work is The Clouds, where he, he portrays uh, Socrates and as an atheist. You know, Socrates says explicitly in The Clouds, Zeus is dead. Uh, there are no there are no gods, and so what you really have there is a discovery of philosophy. Is you know the discovery of the distinction between nature and man-made things, nature and convention, and so what what emerges there is the philosophers will say that, well, yeah, laws are made by men, therefore they're not natural, and the laws derive their authority from God. Gods are made by poets. Gods are made by men. And so what you have is a, 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 you know, the, the decline of the corruption of the young is teaching them that the gods aren't, aren't real. And, and so Socrates is accused of these things. And, and Plato and his Phaedo gives an account of why that's not the real Socrates. Now, what, what you have then is Aristophanes in the clouds says, the country, the city, has declined. He said, look at the city today. This is, you know, 420 or something like that. In the good old days, in the days of the marathon fighters, you know, when we did, defeated the Persians, then we had real men. Then we had great men. 
they were founders, you know, so, and we've declined since the founders, you see. And so he, he laments, uh, Aristophanes really does lament the decline of the character of the Athenian citizen body. Okay, And Socrates, Plato and Xenophon Socrates share that lament. Um, and so what you have is there's a kind of decadence. In Cyrus, what you have in Cyrus, what you have is something like a perfect beginning. You know, but Cyrus is wise and he's born a monarch by divine right. He can lay out laws that improve things. Now, everything falls apart uh, when he dies and at the end of the Oh, game. does it ever? We'll come back to that. In fact, we're going to yeah. come back in the last segment to why do we bother to read these. Uh, stay tuned, America. The Hilltail Dialogue continues. Welcome back, America. It's the last hour of the 20th anniversary edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show. 20 years I've been doing this program with Dwayne and Adam, and it's no better way to end it than on a Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, and Dr. Mickey Craig, professor of politics at Hillsdale, because we've been doing this dialogue for a long time, and this is, we've been talking about Xenophon today, and Aristophanes, and Plato, and Socrates, so the big question is, why bother? And I'll, I'll start with you, Dr. Arn, and then give the remainder of the time to Dr. Craig. Why bother with these people for in 2020, uh, is so many centuries later? Well, uh, right now, you know, because there's a mob running across America and passions are very high, we get lots of encouragement. Well, not lots. We get some encouragement from students and from alums to focus on the current day. And, and uh, that's not the right preparation for life, preparation, because you have to step outside yourself and even outside your time. And the great thing about reading The Education of Cyrus is that it is a powerful phenomenon, and it's over. That is to say, it's complete now. You can see the end of it. And then it's observed by one of the most perceptive people who ever lived. And so you can study that. And also, you don't have an immediate stake in it, and yet your mind will be alive in these situations with all the choices you have to make. And to the extent that liberal education is practical, and it is very practical, although its ultimate aims are beyond practice, to the extent it's practical, that's why. See, like you can, you know, I had a young woman, great young woman, she wrote me a letter and said, you didn't teach me about redlining, which is, you know, banks drawing red circles or red lines around bad inner city neighborhoods and not selling insurance in them or making loans, right? I, and, and I'm writing her back and I'm saying, we taught you the Alabama slave code. Every student reads that at Hillsdale College. And that shows what that regime was like, right? Uh, the, the, and then we taught you John C. Calhoun. And in the historicism of John C. Calhoun, an early exponent of that in America, you see the reason he thought slavery was a good thing. And then you see the refutation of that in the sublime words and actions of Abraham Lincoln. And that, that part of the story is complete, right? And if you read that through, then when you turn to contemporary problems of race, you can understand them better. You have, oh, absolutely. Frederick and, Douglass, July 5. Uh, 1852 speech among them that has informed me recently. I'm curious, Dr. Craig, with three minutes, what we're doing is an imitation of what you do in the classroom. You know, it's just a little bit of an imitation of what you do in the classroom. Yesterday, Harvard announced they're not going to do classrooms next year. Can you do what you do 
unless you're in the room with the students? Yes. Uh, um, well, I, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, that's what I was going to say is that I, I'm not sure you have to do Xenophon. I mean, I think you have to, uh, you know, education, liberal education is simply reminding kids for the most part what they've been encouraged to do by their parents, you know, that, you know, you, we love you and we, we want you to be happy. And then and, and, and thinking through what it means to be happy, you know, you, you have to spend time and you have to have time to spend. You know, you have to have leisure and then use the leisure well. And that means you do have to know, you know, what Western civilization is. And that's Western civilization is something great. And that's Athens and Jerusalem. So you need to know the book. You need to know the Bible. And then the, in, in terms of classical in terms of uh, Athens, in terms of reason, in terms of enlightenment and, and wisdom, you know, you can find various ways to do that, whether it's Jane Austen or whether it's Shakespeare or whether, uh, you know, it might be Thomas Aquinas, Aristotle. I think what you have to do is somehow in showing them, showing the kids in the classroom, look, this could have turned out very bad if George Washington had not been very good. <laughs> Look, and and do they get excited about Xenophon? Because I'm kind of finding him to be fascinating. And I'm 64 years old, so if I can get excited about him, I assume a, 24, a 21-year-old can. Well, it, it, it's hard for them. I mean, Dr. Arn, there's a kind of presentism in them that is, 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 is healthy, I think, at one level. But it can... Well, what do you have to do? Well, Plato's a communist, or you know what they've the, what they've heard is a kind of denigration. So there, there really is a, sometimes difficult to get them interested in it. So I, I don't think it's you know Xenophon. Xenophon contributes and can contribute to a certain kind of reader, I, I think. But again, you start you you have to start education, and this is what Xenophon really teaches: his art of rhetoric and the art of politics. You know that that these are different things. But his teaching is that you must, everyone yearns to be happy. <laughs> and you've got to show them that this thing is connected to that, that, you know, that, that to come to be happy means you need to understand the kalos. You need to understand the beautiful and the noble is connected to the true, the true and the good. And I, I think that's what happens in the classroom now. And that's why we, we are sadly out of time, but that's what we try and do every week here on the Hilldale Dialogue, all of which are, are collected at you for Hilldale.com. All things Hilldale are at Hilldale.edu, I hope, including courses, including Dr. Mickey Craig and, of course, President Larry Arn. We'll be back next week. America, thanks for listening to The Hugh Hewitt Show.